Easy topic. Fun fact. Do you know how many podcasts, like how how many individual podcasts, like cross trainings and podcasts, I'm not talking like episodes. Give, give me a give me a number. How many podcasts do you think exist out in the internet right now? I would say how many podcasts would say I would roughly around half of a billion. 500 million podcasts out there. <laughs> All right. Mason, how about you? I'll, go, I'll stay in the millions, but I'm going to say about 100, not 500. I'm going to say 100 million. Well, you both overshot it by like a country mile. It's two oh, okay. million. Oh. <laughs> two, mi- two, two, two million. Or what if two okay. million? Two million. I was being generous, you know. Yeah. like <laughs> I mean, he threw that number out there. I was like, well, shoot, I'm always far, so I'm going to keep it kind of relative. I overswing on everything anyway, so might as well just do it on the numbers. All right. Well, sorry to disappoint you all, but a measly two million podcasts exist out there. You should have told him there's no chance, and then I might have had. (laughs) No, I still probably would have. I didn't want to ruin it. All right. Well, here's here's another fun fact about that fun fact. 26% approximately. Obviously, there's some crazy decimal usage going on there, but we we round up or round down, whatever. Uh, 26% of those podcasts only have one episode. That's over a quarter. Yeah. So in any podcast million. that starts has a one in four chance of basically just That's 500,000. So if you'd have just said 1,000, you'd have the other stat right. I would. I would. So 500,000 podcasts only have one episode. Guess what? We ain't those small digits, boys. You're listening to the 74 percenters. Oh. Cross training. E-E. Where we're looking faith and practice. Through Bill Plans. I'm Matthew Thompson. I'm not Mason Simmons. And I'm Tanner Higgins, and not only are we looking through faith and practice through a biblical lens, but today we are looking at faith and practice through a scope, through iron sights, baby. Get your guns ready, get your arms ready, because we're about to talk about Christians and violence. Mason, what? hit me with, with some, uh, some sweet steel ASMR. Some sound effects, like this? Oh! Oh! Stick him oh! up, baby! He's got a gun! He's got a gun! <laughs> All right, don't shoot me. That's right. We this have, is my podcast now, boys. <laughs> we, we, are, we have jumped the shark. We have jumped the shark as a podcast. We are we're now bringing firearms into the studio. It's hot. It's hot. It is actually hot. Temperature-wise and in terms of the fact that uh, Mason is a certified killing machine at this very moment. Why do you think that I wore a cutoff today before I go to work? Because every time I come up here, it's I, I get drenched, and then I have to go to work all nice and sweaty. So I brought an extra shirt, so I'm not going so nice and sweaty before going to work. You know, I didn't think about that, but that's a genius idea. Why? And I wore a light gray shirt. I'm dumb. <laughs> Mason's got his one gun. Tanner's got his two guns. So Yeah, I'm outgunned. I, and I, I have lie. no input. But we say all this, and we are we we be ridiculous for for fun and for the sake of a good cold open. But uh, we want to kind of ask, like, what what does the Bible have to say about guns? What does it have to say about violence? What does it have to say about the the bloodshed? Because uh, that's and I don't think this is a huge topic, kind of in the South. This is honestly more of a, a secular topic than it is a religious a religious topic in terms of how the world talks about it. Uh, talk about nonviolence, about pacifism, that sort of thing. Uh, it's not something that's really tied to, to Scripture much. But thing is, Scripture has a lot to say about it. So that'll be the purpose of this episode. We're going to be diving into what, what does Scripture have to say about, about war, about, say, self-defense, about guns, about violence, that sort of thing. Like, what, what input does God's Word have? And I just want to give a bit of a disclaimer, a little heads up. Uh, obviously, we, the three of us, we have kind of varied opinions between the three of us. I think yeah. that I don't think that anyone at this table has the exact same take on these subjects, so it's going to be fun to piece it together. Because you've got, you got Mason, who brought his gun in. you got myself, who doesn't really care for guns, but it's whatever. And then you got Tanner, who would be caught dead with a gun. So we got we got a nice little combination of uh, all beliefs on this system. So we're, we're going to be talking from a couple of different viewpoints today. Which... Take it for granted, I have nothing against guns per se because I think there's nothing wrong with owning a gun because, I mean, you could use that for hunting and, and other things like that. Take it if you, you're hiking, you need a gun just for protection against bears or whatever, you know, wolves or whatnots. So, I mean, there's nothing against having a gun. It's just a gun for certain purposes to kill others. I think that is uh, dangerously on the line of sinful 
uh, thought and practice. But this is where we have discussion because I know that we all have difference, differencing in opinions of what Scripture says and how we apply that to biblical practice. Uh, and I think this is where conversation really meets the road. So for the first thing I want to make mention is like we need to define some terms. And I think we need to do this with every episode, but like what exactly is violence in a sense? And I looked up the, def- the definition, and, the, and violence uh, is the use of force that the intent is to destroy or to kill. That's violence. Uh, but our culture is, bas- is, is vastly saturated with violent tendencies and ideologies and practice. I mean, be honest. Look at it. You know, we love movies that have violence. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. That's a fantastic war film. Uh, Fury. Full of violence. I mean, it, but I mean, they're fantastic films. Uh, I mean, I'm not. Get, we're not getting on the topic of this, but like video games, we love video games that are violent. Uh, you know, those are fun. The the best video games I like to play has blood and, and shed and has violence and swords and and guns and stuff. Those are my favorite ones. Uh, and then you look at sports. I mean, in all intent and reality, MMA is a violent sport. Football, boxing, violent sport to intent to to harm somebody and. And secondary actions, especially with when it comes to football, but yet our culture is so surrounded by violent, loving violent things. You know, we love violence, and so we as Americans were bred early with liking uh, and uh, and are desensitized to violence and violent thought. And so that's one thing that we need to make clear of what violence is, the definition of, and that we are kind of desensitized to a violent reaction. Uh, to certain practices of today, such as sports, movies, video games, etc., the list is endless to certain things. <clears throat> Second term I'd like to uh, and uh, to define a little bit is the pacifism side. So you got a violence, and you got pacifism. This is what the topic that we're going to s- discuss today. And pacifism, um, the term is that they see other means other than force to the ends to settle disputes is the definition. And this term is automatically associated with cowardice. It's automatically associated with cowardice. And pacifism, the thing that we have to realize, that pacifism, the term, is a spectrum between very ardent, stringent pacifists that basically uh, not putting any up, not putting up any kind of fight whatsoever, which you placed me in that category of wouldn't be caught dead with a gun. I'm not a stringent pacifist. And then you have soft pacifists, which mainly basically says I'm only I'm only a pacifist only on certain specific occasions, but in other times I'm okay with killing or, or placing harm upon somebody. So there's a spectrum when it comes to pacifism. And I think a Christian needs to be on a spectrum here when it when we talk about pacifist. You know, because I think that when we talk about uh, the theology of the Old Testament and the theology of the New Testament, what Christ says in the early church that there is a lot of things that it's 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 almost kind of gray matter, no pun intended because gray matter is brains, but then uh, it's it's kind of one of those things that like it's in my opinion is not debated that it is very strict what Jesus says, but then in other cases, well, what does the Old Testament say? So let's let's start up with the bang, no pun intended, dang it, uh, but <laughs> let's start off with the Old Testament. What's the Old Testament got to say about killing? violence and all these things well i don't know if y'all are aware of this but there's quite a lot of bloodshed in the old testament um, you mean my boy joshua had an ak-47 or a 50 millimeter uh gatling gun what would he have i mean if he had access to them he probably would have used them um <laughs> well, those king knots down brother yeah, that's from the, i mean yeah i mean either yell at a wall or shoot at it same thing but uh there's quite a bit of war in the Old Testament, and a lot of it's very painstakingly documented. Uh, so a lot of people look towards that as permission to do war today, saying that, oh, the modern Christian can be pro-war, the modern Christian needs to be pro-war, God supports war in these situations. And it's, I'm not going to pretend to be the arbiter of truth here. I'm, I'm one guy that has uh, opinions on the way that, that I read Scripture. Like, I, I, I apply it in this way. So th- I'm not saying to anyone out there that, is listening to this that that thinks that that war is okay uh, for a Christian to support. Like I'm not saying that you're a heretic. So let me let me quote someone real quick, uh, and this is a well-known atheist philosopher, Richard Dawkins, and he's very aggressive towards the the judo Judeo-Christian faith. And he, this is what he says about God, and specifically in the Old Testament. He says, this is a quote from Richard Dawkins, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, 
unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, in, infanticidal, genocidal, uh, facidal, uh, pestilential, megalomaniac, sadomasochist, there we go, uh, capriciously malevolent bully. And, you know, I think Preston Sprinkle says it right that you don't have to know all those words and what they mean, that it's not very nice words and that he's designating to, towards this, towards God in the Old Testament. And I think the Old Testament is very one of those things that we have to set back and say, you know, is God's intention to basically kill everybody or what's what's his intentions here for these things, this, this bloodshed being done in the Old Testament? And I think God's intentions in the Old Testament were for peace and promise. Right. Those are the two first things I want to that I think we need to recognize that the reason why things are being done the way that they are that seem a little odd is for peace and promise. Yep. So when you talk about violence in the Old Testament, again, we're basically just going to be talking about war because the the way that the story of the Bible is told, uh, there's a lot of uh, bloody conflict, a lot of uh, military action taken uh, during the Old Testament, and it kind of really starts kicking off in numbers because uh, this is a pretty consistently cited piece of scripture for this argument. Uh, numbers, just the first chapter, uh, verses 1 through 3 says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the wilderness of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after Israel's departure from the land of Egypt. Take a census of the entire Israelite community by their clans and, and their ancestral houses, counting the names of every male one by one. You and Aaron are to register those who are 20 years old or more by their military divisions, everyone who can serve in Israel's army. A man from each tribe is to be with you, each one the head of his ancestral house. And I read one more verse than I promised to. I'm terribly sorry. You, get, you got a bonus <laughs> verse. That, that one's free. Uh, so a lot of people look towards that to say, like, see, uh, God, God is pro-war when, when it's done for a holy cause. Uh, but first off, this is something that's kind of difficult to tackle because this, this is a huge ideology to be talking about, uh, talking about war and its place in the Bible, especially as Americans, because this is such a – it's a cultural thing. It, it's hard It's a praiseworthy to, thing. Yeah. It's, a, it's hard to, to divorce your cultural beliefs from uh, biblical truth in this. Uh, I think that – both nations, both nations, all nations, uh, would have that struggle because this is something that um, war is something that happens because we're fallen. I think that we can agree with that because uh, one of the first things that I have in my notes here, uh, one of the best ways to approach these tough subjects is to ask yourself the question. When, when you're talking about war, uh, self-defense, guns, violence, bloodshed, let's start by asking, are any of those things welcome in God's kingdom? No. Negative good no. Like, I don't think there's a single argument under the sun that any of those things are compatible with, with God's kingdom, with, with heaven. When uh, we get the new Jerusalem, new, new, heaven, new, uh, new earth, that, that stuff's not going to be there. Simple as that. So I think that as Christians, we should be striving to bring the world to a place where those things can apply. Are we ever going to achieve it within our own lifetimes? No, that's something only Jesus can accomplish. But that's no excuse for us not to try. I think that that's... I think that's agreeable. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sure many people would try to debate me on that, and that's fine. I'm not, again, I am not the arbiter of truth here. But I'm just acknowledging that this is a tough subject. So if I, if I stumble over my words, just I want to be as respectful as possible to anyone who has disagreeing thoughts with me because I'm fully aware that I'm kind of in the minority in the ways that I think uh, when it comes to, to violence, war guns, all that kind of stuff. So, obviously, there's plenty of war in the Old Testament. But one thing that I think that's uh, important to keep in mind is that God is the perfect judge, and no one can judge as perfectly as God. I, I think that's another thing that you can't disagree with. Well, what with. does he say? That vengeance is mine. Leave it yeah, to me. Yeah, 100%. So we're seeing throughout the Old Testament multiple instances of God giving permission to his people to defend themselves, to take land that's promised uh, to them. And this isn't, and again, this is my opinion. Y'all may agree, y'all may not. Uh, this is an example of God using the tools that he has at his disposal to have his will done. Because would it be cool if God can just take uh, entire cities and just tell them, like, hey, so uh, I promised this land to the Israelites, so I need you all to just, like, get out and find somewhere else. It, it'd be cool if, if he'd do that. It, it would result in less death. That's cool. But that's not the way God works because we, we believe in free will over here, all right? 
I don't know if that's controversial to anyone listening to this, but we're pretty big fans of free will, of free conscious thought. God's a pretty big fan of that. He doesn't want people like not being able to think for, for themselves. That, that's not the way that God functions. I don't, I don't believe that. So that doesn't jive with the way that God has crafted order within his creation. So war, as unfortunate as it is, as terrible as it is, as, as bad as it is for a human being made in God's image to be taken off this earth by another human, that's sadly the only way that humans know to operate when it comes to this kind of stuff. I mean, look, what was the, one of the first things that happened uh, and recorded uh, scripture when Moses talked about uh, Cain and Abel is that the first murder was by a brother to a brother because yeah. of jealousy and pride. And so because of the root of sin has caused a, uh, a domino effect of certain things that murder happened and led to this whole generation of just bloodthirsty uh, individuals that even uh, uh, Cain's uh, descendants were thirsty for blood. And, and basically one of his descendants said, you know, I killed a kid because he looked at me funny, basically. You know, he said something just a little off, and I killed him. I'm worse than Cain. He took pride that he killed some, uh, killed the innocents. And so here you have this, this because of sin, has drawn a conclusion that it has brought something destructive because of this. And I think this is something, as Christians, we need to be aware of, that this is something that we shouldn't take pride in of, of killing and maiming and destroying. With all this in mind, I would like to to offer some words to those that may think that as a Christian, you need to be in the military, that it's something that God calls all of his people specifically to do. Because that is a belief that uh, is out there, and it's, it's not a rare belief. Uh, I would like to interest you in directing your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Boom. Because a lot of leeway is given to who... Who is going to be conscripted into into the Lord's army of the Old Testament? Yeah, I, I do I do like the Old Testament war clause yeah. of Deuteronomy twenty. There's a there are lots of examples of like how how not to be in the military. Like for instance, being married for less than a year. Like that's one. But one that I want to point out specifically is verse eight. It says the officers will continue to address the army and say, "Is there any man who is afraid or cowardly? Let him leave and return home, so that his brother's hearts won't melt like his own." So uh, let's let's put that in layman's term. If he doesn't want to, <laughs> yeah. So there's, I think it's safe to say that there's no biblical um, evidence to to say that as a Christian, you are to fight. Yeah. So I mean, one of the the standing clauses of that is that only volunteers at the time of battle. So there's exactly. no standing army. Exactly. There's no. Uh, they're not going out and and placing military bases, places, and holding a fort there or whatever. That it's only in the time of battle, time of war that they grab people that want to fight versus that you have to fight. So that is a clause. Uh, I think there's a couple of verses before that that says that basically God determines the victory, not man. Yeah. That's that's a stipulation between the yeah. war clause of Deuteronomy 20 that it's like God's the dude that brings the victory. You're just, you're just a tool, guys. Yeah. You're just someone that is being used by God. Yeah, because God also makes it clear in multiple instances of Scripture. I believe it can be found uh, in 2 Kings and 2 Samuel. It, it's, it's consistently mentioned uh, that God tells uh, kings that, that love him uh, that you, don't, you can't have like this, like this standing army, like you said. It has to be a volunteer force, but also instructed against having like the, tons of chariots and all. Yeah. I think in the Psalms, uh, David talks about like basically my chariots are useless and my bows they, are yeah. unquivered, yeah. and basically saying that like they're useless and my God is the one that has mm-hmm. the victory instead of yeah. me. And not only that, but God also says like don't don't have a huge war chest, like don't don't store up tons of gold because basically God makes it clear like if you are a nation that claims to be my nation, if you are an army that claims to be my army then it needs to be clear to everyone around you that your power is not yours. And the reason why is because that what is the root of that? Because David fell into this sin as well. When David took a census of his, of, his, of his country, of his nation, of his military forces and all these things, is that once you have built it up so, so much of a, a stockpile of, of, of military power and uh, nukes and drones and chariots and bows and quivers, your pride is in yourself instead of, pride in God that he can deliver you from a victory, that you're more relying on your capability than God's capability. Yeah, like, I mean, to put it into modern terms, like, imagine if America, the the biggest war machine on earth, 
went to war against some small tribe in Africa that was working off of sharpened sticks and stones, and America lost. That's the kind of stuff that God wants to happen. Did, did I just that, say well, that God wants Africa to take out America? No. Well, no, that's what, that's, what <laughs> happened, that's what happened in the Old Testament in the sense of, like, God used small, un- yeah, exactly. unbelievable that's, that's situations. Like, rules. Gideon is one of the stories uh, that basically God dwindled the Israelite army down to basically 300 men with pitchers and, and, uh, and torches against thousands, and not a man of the Israelite army was killed because of th- them dwindling down. And I'm sorry, but I mean, a lot of that seems illogical, but yet a lot of things that God does is illogical. Yeah. Uh, so part of that uh, Deuteronomy war clause, uh, you know, God determines the victory, you know, the volunteer base. And uh, the third clause is that if there is war, peace should be offered first. You don't strike and first and ask for, uh, forgiveness later, but the, you should always offer peace first. And non-combatants are never killed. If they're non-combatants, don't kill them. And then one of the fifth and final clause that even he says the agriculture should be saved for the survivors of that area so that they can survive. So it's basically God is providing a way that's like, I want life to thrive and to, and to succeed over maiming, death, destruction, and killing everything in my wake. So there's a contrast between what Richard Dawkins says God does and thinks and is in the Old Testament and the way that we've perceived him versus what he actually commands his people to do. And even though it's what God commands them to do, a lot of times that's not what they do. And a lot of times you see in the Old Testament is it's recorded of what is and what happened versus what ought to happen and what God demands and commands them to do. Yeah. One of the more significant uh, wartime rules that you didn't mention that I like quite a bit is the monetary plunder that you get from uh, taking over these lands, like the gold and the silver. It's not to be just distributed amongst your people, like the Israelites. It's to be distributed amongst everyone. Like, yeah. when you when you take this city, the people that are there, which you aren't allowed to take as your own, that's not how this works. You're not you're not over here to enslave people. You are to share the spoils with all. Like, bring, bring them in. Like, because there's that acknowledgement that, yes, even though this bloodshed occurred, even even though this unfortunate violence occurred, like, these are still people made in God's image, and you are to respect them as so when the fighting is over. So there's, I mean, it, there is a consistent love woven in even through this violence that I think we definitely need to be uh, highlighting throughout the Old Testament. I think that, like, seeing America as, like, and the same thing I think that people in Israel at this time in the Old Testament is that if they saw Israel as the only hope of peace in Canaan, or as we see America as the only hope and peace for the world. Today is like a slap, of, slap in the face to God saying, you know, I'm placing America's military might, or I'm placing Israel's military might in that time as an idol superior to God's ability to achieve the goal of peace and promise. And I think that's a scary thing that we do, that we can easily get caught up in of, of, of worshiping uh, uh America or worshiping America's military might and seeing how much do we honor I mean I'm not, I think we should honor the people but yet be weary of the institution that they place their things in we should love them um, but yet some of the things that we have done as, as a military force is very uh, dangerous when it comes to God's standards it is not God's standards that we are upholding and I think this is one thing as Christians that we need to be careful that when, when joining the military force that I think one of the uh, greatest men, uh, one of the stories is Desmond Doss in World War II, if, if anyone's saying Hacksaw Ridge, is that he was a non-combatant that refused to carry a weapon, but yet went up top of this ridge and saved dozens of men. And, and I think this is what we should do as Christians, that we can join the military, but yet how do we do that God, Godfully and holistically in a way that pleases God? And I think, to, and, and this is the way that I view Scripture, and this is completely opinionated, uh, based in factual behind Scripture, is that if you join the military, I think you need to be a non-combatant and not carry a weapon and have a force set for destruction. And that could be contested uh, with opinions, too. But as a Christian, I think that's something that you need to be weary, uh, weary of. Yeah. I like that take. Uh, personally, I have an infuriatingly um, non-stance on that. Because my, my belief is that I'm fully aware that the same text that I look at and think says this thing, plenty of other people will read that exact same text and get something totally different from it. And like, I understand that. I mean, that, that's how Scripture operates. And I think that uh, war is one of those areas that's 
so conflicted that I just I can't in good conscience say that like I've got it right. Like I I, I, I don't know. Like you really could take a lot of this stuff either way. So I I'll never look at um, a Christian that's uh, in the military in a uh, a combat role. I can't look at them and say with an honest mouth like you're doing something that's simple. Like I yeah. I don't know that for sure. Well, because I mean in the, in the New Testament you have Jesus basically transforms. Um, uh, military leaders' lives. You know, what was the uh, centurion? Uh, was it centurion or what was the dude that had his daughter that was sick? Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, was, it, well, was it centurion? Or maybe was not it a like centurion, a, but he was a high-ranking. He was a high-ranking official in the military. In the military, I can't remember. But it doesn't say that he quit. And then with the jailer with Paul, it says that he he basically left his post, and that's punishable by death. So he did quit. So there's there's area for for. Uh, Debate of like if Christian uh, someone becomes a Christian while they're in the military should they quit or should they stay in and I think there, there's debate for and and leeway for both that you can go and and make a witness in the military, uh, but yeah. then there might be some cause where it that you should leave and not and not participate in military forces and I think it is really going to vary just person by person because there might be people out there that just yeah I think some people are conflicted on certain things than others yeah whereas others can easily be in the military and and be a a God-fearing Christian individual and have no conflicts there like I think that's possible so so here's one thing in the Old Testament that I think is a prophecy for peace in uh, Isaiah and this is I think uh, I think this has been read on this podcast before. Yes, and this is probably my and this is my next tattoo that I'm getting on my forearm. <laughs> so there, there's a, there's a little hint for you. Uh, this is how this is how much it's convicted me. So this I think is a prophecy that is being made for peace when Christ the Messiah comes, when He comes, and this and and this is one I think that is it's His first coming when He reigns on the cross and He He accomplishes uh, the goal that He has set out to do. And that he is who he says he is, and he is reigning at the throne right now. So this is this is what I think that the kingdom of God is currently should be. Is that in the last days the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it, and many people uh, will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about the ways so that we may walk in his path for instructions will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, And he will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning uh, knives. Nation will not take up sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. And this is what is a picture of the kingdom of God that why do we, we, we as Christians, why do we see that as like, well, that's just a good view, but it's not realistic. I'm sorry, but God is realistic, and his promises are a promise that he will forever keep. So if this is a promise of peace, why not fight for that promise of peace in a way that is trying to uphold to that, that we should beat our swords into plowshares and start stop warring against each other and stop fighting against each other and stop trying to kill each other in a way that even though it's set for peace, then why not do it with love and it's counterculture and upside down kingdom that is not expected the way that our culture has expected it. Um, just to kind of dive a little deeper on the, that scripture you just read, Tanner, for, for the listener, why don't you go a little more in depth on what it means to beat a sword into a plowshare? Like, what does that mean? Okay, so beat a sword, I mean, obviously this is something in terms that we're not used to today. Because So a sword is a piece of metal, obviously. <laughs> you know, it's, it's cultivated in, in the sense of ore and made into a sword by a, a swordsmith. And a spear is the same thing. You know, everyone knows what a spear is. And so a plowshare is where it is, where it's dragged behind a horse, or if you're poor at that time, you dragged it with with men, and uh, you a plowshare made a crevice so that you can plant seeds in and then cultivate uh, crop and agriculture. And a pruning hook is basically something that you used for. Uh, uh, growth and you get a, r- rid of the bad stuff that's choking the good stuff off of your plants and your crops and stuff like that. So you're basically taking objects of destruction and war and creating them and placing them up with objects of cultivating uh, survival and of sustaining and promise. So it's basically a contrast between two objects. And this is a, a prophecy from Isaiah, from God, whatever through Isaiah, saying this is the kingdom of God, that he takes destructive things and turns them and makes productive things. And this is what things, as, as, as we are in the kingdom of God, that we should strive for cultivating 
good things instead of cultivating destructive things. Yep. And the thing is, these subjects, it's, and we can talk about it until we're blue in the face, but I just, I don't think that there is a, a completely right or wrong answer. I mean, there's, because this is an area where you kind of, you wonder how far do you go? And by that, I mean, if you wanted a nation to be completely just 100% like, like Christ, then when threatened by war, would we not just offer the other cheek? Like, is, is there an argument for that? So here, like, here's what, the, what do you think about self-defense, Tanner? Okay, so here's when it comes to the New Testament and Jesus reforming upon the old. And I think that Jesus is a great reformer. Uh, I don't want to say the reformer of himself, but the former of the law. Uh, as far as people were concerned, yes. he was reforming. So did Jesus, what did he teach when it comes to, to, to violent action? And and when it boils down to it, I think that Jesus has the best word to say when it comes to concealed carry or to have a gun in the house or whatever. And one of the first things that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 6, 27 through 29, it says, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you. And Here's the thing, and I'm not trying to say anything against anyone that carries a gun, but I think it is almost theologically impossible to love your enemies and carry a gun at the same time. And that is a very, uh, almost a controversial statement to a lot of people in the South. And I'm not saying anything against uh, you, Mason. I was about to say Mason, response. I, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know. I, mean, I can, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I want you to. Do it. You haven't spoken yet. Come on, well, Mason. I mean, to carry a gun and to say, you hate your enemy. I don't think those have to be in the same sentence at all because, as we talked about earlier, you can carry a weapon and still not intend to kill someone. I mean, yeah, obviously a gun is going to do a lot of damage, but as we spoke earlier, like, I have no intention of killing a man in my lifetime. None. And I really hope I never do. <laughs> Unless I go crazy. Like, we're happy trying to Happy accidents up. happen, man. Happy accidents, just like Bob Ross always said, man. Just happy trees. <laughs> I'm painting trees and they're red. <laughs> Personally, and I mean, as Tanner was, uh, you can kind of bring this back up, but I'll just, you know, paraphrase what we spoke about earlier. Like, in the heat of the moment, like, we talk about all these people, you know, wanting to wanting to have certain goals, but, uh, you know, saying something and then getting in that moment is completely different. But, I mean, if at all possible, I would never try I'm not aiming for headshots like I do in video games. Is basically what I'm trying to say. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> you do realize you can kill someone with not shooting them. In the I head. know, but that's. I, I mean, that's I'm just sorry. the most simple way to put it. I mean, it's like I'm not aiming to intentionally kill someone. Yeah. I mean, if someone's aiming a gun, like first off, my main my aim main priority is okay, take out the shoulder. Yeah, he may never use that arm again, but if he lives and doesn't hurt anyone, we've got two wins here. So here, here, I don't, I'm, I'm basing this off of uh, my personal convictions, and I used to carry it one time, and, and then uh, the Lord convicted me, and I, I decided not to. And this is on my uh, pacifistic route, too. I used to carry and the decision, we, there's a lot of behold uh, when it comes to carrying uh, a gun. And the gun is the same thing as a sword in the context of Scripture, too. we got to understand this, is that when you see swords being used, I mean, a gun is the same parallelism of today. So... But a sword is made to dismember, to harm, to kill. The same thing as a gun is designed to kill something, an animal, a person, an individual. It's not there as strictly as a deterrent. You can use, they got non-lethal rounds now. Mm -hmm. uh, but even those non-lethal rounds have been seen to be used as lethal if hit in the right place. Yeah, they have to if, be very specific. Very specific. But, but those are... They are, it is possible, yeah. It I mean, is possible. It's obvious. So here, here's the thing. And this is one reason why I decided not to carry. So... And this, this goes to uh, gun nerds, too. And I love guns. I love shooting. It's, it's so much fun just shooting for targets and, and stuff like that. But when I did carry, I made the decision of, of, of not carrying because I'm not trained, no matter how much I train myself, of going to the, to the range and shooting and, and practicing drawing out of my appendix carry. And no matter how much training I have, I am flawed. And then by that time, I know that... that police officers and military people that are trained constantly, that they are seeped into it, that they make mistakes as well. 
How, why would I think that I'm just as good or better than they are? And I also got to think about rounds, too. And I think I talked about this, too. Mm-hmm. The decision of making hollow points or full metal jackets. Hollow points do a lot more damage. They spread out and, and cause a lot more damage, but they don't pass through as well as full metal jackets. Full metal jackets, they don't do a lot of damage straightforward, but yet they pass through multiple targets because they're, they're a lot more aerodynamic and they punch a punch and make a punch through. And so if I'm not shooting behind a target, I don't know what's behind my target. So when it comes to a church setting, Mm-hmm. What if someone across from the church house is has someone uh, at gunpoint, and I pull my gun and I shoot the hostage or someone else? What if I I'm not as trained in in the heat of the moment? We're going to make mistakes, and and in that sense, I'm like I'm not going to put myself at liable to that if I kill someone in the congregation versus the target, and even then the target that person's a lost soul as well. I need to be concerned for the person as well. Love your enemies, those that persecute you and those that hate you. So when it talks about when Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, this isn't a, for only these circumstances. He's, he's not putting caveats to these statements. He's putting a wide spectrum of loving your people that hate you, loving people that pull a gun at the church, people that shoot upon you or do whatever. And every time a violent thought or remark is made in the New Testament by the disciples, Jesus rebukes them. Uh, Look at James and John, the sons of thunder, my goodness. They say, Jesus, these people over in this this Samaritan uh, village, they hate you. Allow us to cast thunder and lightning to destroy this village. Jesus rebukes them for asking basically a nuclear strike upon this village. And Jesus says, no, because I love them too, and I've come to save them as well. And so we need to look at, at our enemies in this manner. And here's a question I want to make, and I want to, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be passionate because this is one of the things that the Lord's uh, walked with me through, uh, is that when Jesus says to, to basically hate your enemy, it's the same thing of having murder upon your heart. So how many times in the past have we said, I hate them, I hate, I hate the Saudi Arabians because they, 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 they hit 9-11, or I hate them. Basically, that's murder. Murder's a sin. I hate to tell you that. So these thoughts, these intentions of having a, a, a hatred towards individual by an action of caring or doing certain things, we need to be careful and not allow our hearts to be so seeped into anger, hatred, bitterness, and that is sinful in the eyes of God. Christ comes to reform the things. And this is what happens here with James and John. And it's one thing I think that hap- should happen in, in our heart as well. Mason, let me uh, keep you in the hot seat for just a, a couple seconds more because I'm genuinely curious about what, what you might think about this, uh, about this verse. And I just ask because, I mean, personally, I just don't care for guns. I mean, I personally believe that all guns should be uh, forcibly taken from households and replaced with bows because if you want to harm someone, you need to have some arm strength, that gun. You do realize that people in the Old Testament probably. Bunch of nerds out there being able to kill people because we got guns. No, you got to work for it. Draw, draw back that bow. Dude, go but, back just to stones and, and kill people like Cain did, you know? Yeah, for the, real. the real OG. Like, murder like a man. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, I, so I don't have much of a stance at all when it comes to, to open or concealed carry, like a, a Christian's ability to, to carry a gun with intent to self-defense. So I have a bit of scripture, Mason, that I feel like may apply to this, the, that I want your take on. And I will acknowledge the, the context of it might make it irrelevant. I don't know. I'm kind of workshopping here. So the, uh, the scripture that I have is from Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. It says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, that, uh, the context of that is Jesus is giving command to people who are about to minister. They're, he's not telling a bunch of people that are insistent on having their concealed scimitar by their side. So it's not like a one-to-one application of Scripture. I acknowledge that. But, Mason, I am curious as to if you think that that mentality of knowingly going into dangerous areas and yet swearing to be as harmless as a dove, do you think that could apply to someone that owns a, a concealed or not concealed carry, open carry, uh, for the intent of self-defense when the worst, uh, worst case scenario might occur? I don't, I don't know if I can answer that the way you want me to, because every time I think of that verse, I think of uh, missionaries going out to dangerous countries is how I see That's it. That's fine. Like I said, it might be irrelevant. Should, just should missionaries carry? And, pers- and here's me speaking personally and strategically because, I mean, as you two probably know me, especially Tanner, I love 
strategy games. Like I love trying to think things through and like, okay, what's the best route for this? And personally, I don't think a missionary should because one, uh, and dangerous. You don't think they should carry a gun? And to another country, no. Gotcha. Because and here's and here's why and here's my strategy for that is because if you're going into another country, especially a very hostile country that are like actively like trying to eradicate Christians on like any level, like churches burned down. If you're getting if you're caught in someone's house and the Bible's present, like you're getting your heads chopped off. Like I'm talking about, like they want Christians gone. You having a gun is going to so easily identify you not i mean not just as a christian but just as a threat in general and so uh in those countries there is no such thing as a reasonable pat down they are taking you they are stripping you and as soon as they find a weapon 99 percent of the time they're most likely just going to kill you so to go into a a dangerous area a a sheep going into the midst of the wolves strategically like for the gospel Here's my thing on this, and I know that this can be taken very, very differently, but you can't preach the gospel if you're dead. A famous line from uh, a saga that we are all very big fans of, uh, Star Wars, live to fight another day. A, a missionary's useless if he goes over there and gets caught you know, going through airport and he's got a gun, and they just kill him on the spot. So let me ask this question. So are the death of martyrs useless? So those that have been but see, that did no, not put no, up a fight. No, the martyrs are the ones that are not going over there trying to just protect themselves. You're talking about like Stephen and all these other ones, right? Anyone that dies for the faith. Yes, but at that point, are they dying for the faith? That's what I'm saying. Should you not be constantly being placing yourself in a situation that I'm living by faith? So in that sense, yeah, I, I agree that it would be a senseless death. In the in the in the reaction, if you're in an airport and like you're not even preaching the gospel, but yet if you're out ministering to people, you shouldn't be placing yourself in a situation where I sh- I will be able, I'm carrying and be pat down and placed in a situation where I could be killed like that. So, I think a way you could put it is yeah. you can't become a martyr on purpose. Yes, and that, and we shouldn't seek martyrdom. So, and I think that. In my opinion, I think placing a gun up on on yourself is putting an unnecessary target upon your back. And, that, and that's what I'm trying is, to say, is too, a, is a, a missionary should not have that unnecessary target. Yeah. They should try to – they are too blend in with the people, especially in those hostile countries. I mean, otherwise you will be seeked out. So what is the difference other than the obvious? I'm just, let me leave it at that, other than the obvious. Uh, what's the difference between someone going and ministering to a foreign country and a Christian that is just where they live that should be a living witness, therefore a living ministry at all times? Like, what, what's the what's the difference there? Honest question. Yeah, so, I mean, you could just, uh, this is just my thinking. I mean, you could say there's a, there's a million different situations, and there is, and there might be a different answer for every situation, at least to how I see it. But when you're going over there, they're going to, now, again, I'm thinking strategically. I'm not even really talking 100%. This sounds very heretical. I'm going to stop there. I'm thinking very... <laughs> <laughs> I almost got him. No. I'm thinking very strategically because you're going into another country. They're going in militia, quote-unquote militia. I mean, it, I mean, call them what you want. You with a handgun is not doing a thing. Sorry. You might take two of them, but then they're going to mow you and everybody that's in your group down. That's just what's going to happen. Statistically, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that's just odds are, if you want to put some money on it, that's what's going to happen. God blesses the underdog. Just do it with your fists. <laughs> and God also says, "Don't be ignorant." <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> He's good. He's good. Um, and then you have the Christian that's, you know, not in that situation of groups of people actively trying to go out and persecute by death. Uh, I and I see that as one trying to defend his family and his home of others because and I don't think I fully answered your question earlier I'm talking about like having a gun and saying like you hate your enemy well to me if you're not willing to protect your family are you saying you hate them and I know that can be you know going one way or another but Jesus did say hate your family that's true <laughs> that is true boom got him see here, here's my statement with that Contact as well <laughs> is that when it, when it comes to the, the, the attacker at the door uh, situation, we are automatically assuming that the attacker at the door 
is geared to kill you. We're, we're automatically placing them as a black and white character of like someone at my door is there to kill me. But a lot of times what is, is other than Jeffrey Dahmer and some you know weird cases, is that a lot of times people go to people's homes and say, I'm going to kill you. A lot of times they want money. They want something mm-hmm. in return. They don't want to just kill you just for the sake of it more, more times than often. So why not just give up your monetary possessions and eliminate the risk of pulling a gun out, killing yourself, killing killing the person in front of you, or getting the rest of your family killed? So we got we can't we need to stop thinking about like relying on what TV shows us on CSI and all these things that people are geared to wanting to kill you, but they want something in return, basically. We're, we're, we need to stop placing these people. Why don't you start singing, well, can, let me, if before you decide to kill me, can I pray? Before you decide to kill my family, can we sing Amazing Grace? Can I tell you about the gospel first? That's the best song you got in a life or death situation. Come you know, on. I mean, I, it was I either that or a pending doom, you know. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, there, there's a countercultural way uh, that we, we as Christians should respond differently uh, in, in the sense of the way that TV or our culture expects, expects us to do. And that's one thing when, when I say pacifism, a lot of people automatically think cowardice. Like, okay, so you allow the people to kill, come into your home and kill your family. No. And when it comes down to it, I'm not, I want to do all that I can to protect my family. I'm going to wrestle him to the ground to allow my family to escape. I'm going to throw things at him to try to knock him down to allow my family to escape. I'm going to do what I can without causing death upon them. I would rather sacrifice myself and allow my family to get away. So, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of gray area in this. Uh, that it's not black and white. If someone's going to kill me, i got to kill them because then you're just causing – violence breeds more violence. And so when it comes to that, we have to be very careful as Christians of how we line ourselves with that ideology of like, okay, I'm going to kill you if you threaten me with your life or threaten me with, with my life. So let me, let, let, me, let, me ask, let me read some scripture. I'm going to get y'all's opinions real quick. What about Luke 22? You want to know this reference where Jesus tells the disciples to conceal and carry? We didn't do a 30,000 week study on the book of Luke. We did John. Oh, John. So no, yeah, I don't know John. Luke off the top of my head. So, Luke 22, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Go and buy a sword. He tells his disciples to go and buy a sword. And uh, uh, the disciples look at Jesus and says, We have two swords. And Jesus says, That's enough. So, is this a command? of Jesus telling his disciples to conceal and carry, what is this? Let's do some exegesis here. What's going on? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was just a verse or two behind that one. Jesus confirms that he needs to be numbered among the transgressors to fulfill a prophecy, thus indicating not only is this me inferring, but it's Jesus himself confirming that he just needs some weapons present so he can make sure that he's actually going to be taken in. To, to fulfill a prophecy. Exactly. This, and this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, where it says, you know, that he should be counted amongst the transgressors. And Rome, they only crucify people that are a threat, that are revolutionaries. And Jesus, if he doesn't have any weapons or per se, he's not, he, he can't be counted as a threat. And here's a look at the logic of what, one thing that I don't think it's counting as conceal and carry. Two swords to protect 12 plus people against thousands plus military force, not very good strategy there, you know? It doesn't make any sense of to have two swords to protect these people against thousands of people. Not very strategic for Jesus there. So it has to be something different, and I think, and that's exactly right. I think Jesus is saying, I have to be counted amongst the transgressors. I have to be placed in a situation that puts me upon the cross. And later, basically, Jesus admonishes Peter for using one of those swords. He says, you know, those that live by the sword die by the sword. And Jesus is completely, basically breaking down these barriers of their perceptions of what the Messiah came to do. I mean, uh, if anyone has seen the the Chosen series, one of my favorite scenes is where uh, Simon the Zealot comes and joins the team, and he has a little little dagger. And Jesus says, "Hmm, let me see that." And I'm sure Simon the Zealot's in his mind. He's thinking, "Yes, I get to use this for the Messiah." Jesus just tosses it in the river. He says, "You won't be needing that. We'll do. We'll use something different." And I'm just like, that's exactly what he became to conquer and to came to defeat the enemy of humanity in a different way than what people expected him to do. And that's through peace and through 
through through promise. So let's go back to let's go back to Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, probably the 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 best sermon that ever preached upon planet Earth. If you want to debate that, uh, Jesus he says in verse thirty eight that you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and this is good law in the Old Testament because I mean in 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 the Old Testament law during that time the surrounding cultures basically. If you stole something from me, I can kill you. And like the law of the land was very strict in the sense of like uh, a little bit aggressive in the manner. It's basically in today's terms, uh, which the judicial system is broken slightly. If you get caught with like an ounce of weed, you get like life imprisonment. That's a strict uh, punishment for something, a crime so small. And the same thing would be the culture of that time. So Jesus or God in the Old Testament kind of does this, but Jesus improves and reforms the Old Testament law. He says, but I tell you something new. He says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And this is another thing, another question. It's like, is this only on certain circumstances or all cases and all situations? I mean, yeah, it definitely can. Because, I mean, I'm sure you're probably thinking of Jesus' crucifixion. Oh, he didn't try to fight back at all. But, I mean, if he did fight back at all, he was breaking the... Uh, prophecy. Mm-hmm. I lost the word for it. Um, but to think that, okay, yeah, someone has spoken down to me, so I shouldn't speak bad to them. Yeah, obviously. I mean, we are not here to just fight and bicker with one another, but I mean, okay, this guy has killed my mom. Do I let him kill my dad too? Do I let him kill my kid? I mean, you you can look at things from one extreme and say, oh, yeah, this is the obvious answer. Then you go, okay. Because, I mean, those are not ridiculous questions to say, oh, yeah, so do I let him kill my son now? Because so that, back that to, happens. Let's go back to the same thought, though, of that, like the killer, that, that you're, that's cowardice in, in, the, in the sense of that I'm not going to fight back. And that's automatically people automatically assume you're a pacifist, you're not going to fight back. That's not the case. I'm going to fight back. It's just that there's other ways to – to uh, well, and I, disarm somebody without killing them. Well, that's what I'm saying, too. And I, that's my, been my whole thing, and I think 90% of sane people will agree with me, keyword sane. They're not going to just want to kill someone either. I mean, yeah, they may use a gun as well, but they're not doing it just to kill them. The sad thing is that I know an individual that is a co-worker uh, in the medical field that he, he has made many statements before, and I'm hoping he's kidding he's joined the military multiple times and re-enlisted multiple times so he has a chance to kill someone. Um, That's not a mentality to have as as a believer, for sure. Which, he's not a believer, but needless to say, that's non-believers will do what non-believers do. But, I mean, to say that someone with a gun, their only intention is to kill their enemy is absolutely false. I don't think that's a fair statement to say. But just like it's not a fair statement for me to say to you that just because you use a gun, you're a coward. Doesn't want to do anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Mason, I, I, I agree. I'd say about ninety-seven point five percent with your reasoning. Um, I'm just going to assume there's an area that I don't uh, agree with <laughs> because I'm never going to completely agree with you. Get over it. But, <laughs> I've come to terms with that. That's fine. Because when I when I think of the whole like turn the other cheek, uh, offer it to to be struck as well. I think of that as being like a one-on-one situation. Like when you bring up the the, uh, the what-ifs on like, do I, they've killed my mom, do I let them also kill my dad? Well, I, I think that that's not what that verse speaks no, to. exactly. I think it's, it's speaking to your ministry as an individual follower of Christ, as someone uh, exacts violence against you. If someone threatens you, then you are to respond with this radical love that, I mean, it's got to throw them off. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, might, it might not I, save I your life. I completely agree with that. But that's a witness right there. That that'll preach, amen. But I think that the that that I don't think that that's supposed to apply to the multi-person scenario. And that's one thing. And I agree with you with that statement. I think we would all three agree with that. Mm-hmm. And and we got to understand too that God. Dang it! I changed my mind. Then I I just I don't want to agree with you. Oh. <laughs> well, well, you got to understand. It applies to everything. God loves the oppressed. And God loves to redeem and to get those out of oppression in the sense of like if someone is being attacked or someone is being persecuted or whatever, that, you know, God goes and gets them and tries to and, and, and protects them. And us as believers, we should try to do the same thing in the sense. But yet in the Old Testament, we forget a lot of times that God gave the Canaanites multiple opportunities to repent 
and to go and, and to and to follow God. And a lot of times, some Canaanites did. Uh, look at Rahab uh, in uh, Jericho. She followed God, so she was saved. God released her from oppression in that sense. But yet, those that did not follow were destroyed. And it, it goes back to. Um, it goes back to the New Testament is that, you know, to be honest, to have peace, to have shalom, there has to be some form of uh, sacrifice. And Christ was a sacrifice to gain peace. And to have peace upon the land of Canaan, there had to be some punishment. There had to be something because that's God's promised land. And he gave every opportunity. I think it was like, what, three to four hundred years span of, of, of God uh, giving Canaan to to repent before he sent them into the into the wilderness, before even... Moses, that there was uh, witnesses upon the land. And so God gave every chance, gave them every chance to repent. And the same thing applies to us now is that God gives us every chance to repent or there will be destruction, uh, a total annihilation, uh, as the Old Testament would uh, would proclamate. Um, but the thing that when it boils down when to, to me, and, and a lot of people would say, well, you know, this is only because it was a certain circumstance. But to me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. And here I want to live as Christ. So the different kind of Messiah that Jesus not only teaches, but he shows an upside-down kingdom at the cross and trial. And so in John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said to Pilate, I think, he says, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so us as Christians, we're part of this upside-down kingdom, so we should fight in a different manner that is not of this world, but is differently. And this is one thing that I think the Lord has convicted me, in which it, conviction is different for each person. Uh, mine's a little bit stronger than Matthew's and Mason's. Uh, and so to me, I want to fight differently than the way the world expects me to fight. Um, and he should, he's my example. Not only is this a theological practice, but it, it's to live by Christ and to live even to the point of death. Uh, and I think that, you know, Paul, he didn't fight when shackles were being placed, and he didn't fight when he was being stoned. He ran away to fight another day, but yet he didn't fight that time when it comes to uh, placing a witness upon his life uh, for Christ. He lived as Christ to die as gain. Yep. And I think that uh, any Christian worth their salt, and any Christian that, that claims to, to follow the the God of the Bible, to, to follow the Christ of the New Testament. What would Jesus do is, is a question that's asked quite often. And uh, Tanner, what, what's the response given to that? Well, this news movement with the what would Jesus do, uh, it's the WWJD, the response would be HL, HWLF, so he would love first. Yeah. Yeah, this, the purpose of this episode, and again, I think, uh, I'm pretty sure we started off this episode by giving this disclaimer, or at least I tried to, that we don't have all the right answers. And when it comes to violence, like, humans are violent people. That's always been true. I mean, the second sin that was committed in, in Scripture was that of the utmost violence, uh, fratricide. Boom, got the word right that time. <laughs> uh, so that's, it's something that we're going to struggle with until our dying day. It's something that's going to exist until Christ comes back. So it's something that's difficult to navigate by nature because it seems so uh, counter to God's character because God is love. So I took, I took one of those a couple years ago. I took like a, a denomination quiz or whatever in the Protestant uh, arena, and it came out that a lot of my views aligned with Quakerism and Anabaptist. And so I was curious, and I looked up some of the, like the, the some of their views, and it, it it does closely align with some of my theological standings. But one of the things with Anabaptists and Quakers, they, they were extremely nonviolent, and they were persecuted even within the Protestant uh, uh, arena uh, because of their nonviolent stance, and they were seen as cowardice and stuff like that. But one of the the, the Anabaptists, one of their uh, uh, statements of faith and practice through a biblical lens. Uh, hey. uh, one of the things they said, I, and, I, and here's one of the things that they say, I quote, it says, the commitment to nonviolence is not founded on naive expectations that people can be persuaded to be nice to each other. We need to realize that we are followers of Jesus in a divided and violent world and utterly realistic about evil that lurks in the hearts of man. But we choose to follow the Prince of Peace who brings shalom versus following the inquiry of man and deceitful lust of fear and anger. And this is one thing that me as a Christian need to say, I decide to put my faith in God 
I decide to put my faith in the Prince of Peace upon the King of the Universe over placing my faith in America's military might, placing my faith into a gun, placing my faith into a, a 45 millimeter. It doesn't matter. As long as I have faith in Christ over myself and my might, then I'm going to win every time. It doesn't matter what the situation is. All things work for the good that love him are called according to his purpose. Everything, good and bad, as long as I trust him instead of myself and my might. This episode of Cross Training has been brought to you by Quaker Oats. So just my last going thoughts is, I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, like personally, I don't think me and you are very far off. This gun, like right here on this table, 99% is not for me. It is for the ones around me that I care about and just want to make sure that do not get harmed. The 1% is just in case I see that snake in the woods and I just despise snakes. Mm-hmm. I might unload a, a whole mag into a snake. I'm sorry. Thank you for uh, saying mag because one of the biggest <laughs> pet peeves is... No, he's it's a, clip. a clip, man. It's a clip. Even though a clip is a terminology for a rifle, uh, especially like an M1 Garand, but needs to say, yes, I hate, I hate when people say clip. Continue. <laughs> I might unload a whole mag into a snake. But other than that, it's not for me. Um but like it's like you said, like when it comes to like we're both going to defend the ones we care about. Just I'm going to use a gun, whereas you just don't feel like that's how you should. I mean, and that's just to, personally to me how I see it is that's the big difference between us two. And scripturally, I mean, how can you prove that? Well, hopefully you'll have discern this for yourself. The discernment's uh, a big key. Thing. It is. It, it is. I mean, like, like you said, conviction goes differently for some people about different things. I mean. Sin, hopefully not. But, I mean, as we've discussed this, we don't necessarily think each other are sinning for using a gun or not using a gun or anything like that. So, yeah. And with all this said, all the all the lessons learned, or I hope we all learned a lesson from this. I always do. Uh, as always, you can you can reach us at our email address or through social media, all those, uh, all the information regarding that. What? What are you looking at me weird for? The listener elect lets you be an O. That we are TikTok official now. Oh, Ooh, we are. Oh, man, I have to include that in the notes now? Uh, well, you, you can find everything in the show notes. <laughs> just, just click it there, whatever. You don't have to think about it. I guess I'll have to figure out what our TikTok URL is. But until then, Tanner, give me that fancy sound effect. Peace out.